Hello, and welcome to my lecture series. My name is Nick Lugo, and thank you for being here. Before we get started, I just want to give an explanation or a reminder as to why you're here and why I do these lectures in the first place. It may seem true to you that the reason to come to one of these lectures, or a lecture in general, is to learn, and you wouldn't be wrong, but it's much more than that. You're here to act. The learning part is obvious, but not the acting. Often, I, more than anybody else, know how to act, but simply just don't act. For example, it's not a groundbreaking discovery that going to the gym is important. This is something that we all know. Yet, the hardest part is, and I'll say it again, action. As you know, the lectures that I will take you through are hero stories, and there is much to learn from them. Therefore, the first lesson to learn from these stories and these movies is a simple one, one that you already know. Heroes follow their heart. They don't think about following their heart. It is action that separates the heroes from the rest. The goal of this lecture is to facilitate thought and action, as the two are so desperately intertwined. Therefore, I make this statement that I say with absolute conviction. If this lecture series does not change the actions you take in this world, then I have failed you. This idea of action is one that I explore with incredible depth in these lectures. Finally, if you're looking for a more direct way to act, I suggest you check out my new book, Breaking Your Bad Habits in 150 Pages, A Hero's Journey. My book takes these abstract lessons and applies them directly to you and any bad habit or human weakness that you might be struggling with. I place you in the shoes of a hero and show you how to be both a thinker and a doer, all in 150 pages for those of you who don't consider themselves readers. You can find the book on Amazon by searching it or by clicking the link in this video. Now, let's get on to the lecture. <sighs> okay, welcome. Lecture six, part six, Moana. We are here. This is the last lecture. This is the final part of Moana. And well, thank you for sticking through. If you stuck through, if this is your first time watching the Moana lecture series, click right up there and you are going to start with lecture one because then you could understand the entire psychology of Moana and how it could actually apply to your life. But for those people who stuck around, for the people who watched one through five, let's pick up where we left off. For those people who didn't watch, you could just start here if you want to. This is really, this is, this is where it gets good. So, so if you want to stick around, you can stick around. So, um, last, so we'll get to where we left off last lecture. Last lecture, we left off with the hero's heroine's journey and how it sort of played out, you know. And well, I really like what they did here. So what they did was they took the the heroine's journey and they infused it inside the hero's journey. So if we're going to keep going with the hero's journey structure that we used for the first four lectures, we could just use this as a as a necessary step. So, you know, this is where we started at lecture five, and this is just the trials and tribulations, helping Maui and, and, um, helping Maui and learning how to sail and, you know, facing this crab, you know, all these things and, you know, discovering a little bit deeper into herself. All of these things are just the trials and tribulations that happen along the hero's journey. They just infused a heroine's journey within the giant hero's journey. And it's just part of the trials and tribulations, which I thought was really cool. 
But anyways, um, yeah, right. Like here's a hero's journey. Maui is essentially the mentor, and he teaches her how to um, how to wayfind and how to command the seas and all that stuff. Teaches her all the skills. So really, she's he's essentially just your traditional mentor, but but it's more of a symbiotic relationship, which I thought was really cool. But now let's just pick up where we left off, really, at the um, the hero's journey part of Moana, where Moana is the hero. We already got to the part where um, where Maui was a hero. Now let's get to the part where Moana was a hero. So they arrive at Tefiti, right? Or they arrive at Tikha, right? And um, and Maui goes and fights him. You know, it's sort of like the mentor and the um, and Moana fight together obviously a little bit difficult and here's one of the here, here's a strong idea and and this was the idea that that's really permeated throughout this whole thing maui hasn't learned one thing yet one thing that he hasn't learned is that he still believes that he could fight Teka, right he still believes that you could take your ego and just you know and just defeat this giant monster and this is a really good angle of just you know watching maui's about to swing right and try to try to help um Moana crossed the boat, crossed this little like gorge. But the the thing is, really, you know, this idea that Maui could take down Teka is is so flawed, right? It's flawed in the idea that we could use this little ego, you know, this little conscience that that exists within us, you know, and um and take down this giant animalistic um, device that exists within us. It's almost impossible. Karyum, he he calls. It's funny because we talk about this and yeah, I'll explain it here. So, so I was talking to my friend the other day or we were in class and we were talking about this idea of, you know, flow, getting into the, getting into flow and you know, that, that period where you're just working and for 90 minutes and you just work super hard and you look up, you're like, wait, where did the time go? Right. That is an unconscious process. That's that's a subconscious process. We could we could really understand that. You can't really like just say, all right, ne next ninety minutes, I'm going into it, and then automatically get into it. It's something that has to happen naturally. So you ask the question. It's like how do you how do you do that? And the clear answer is you can't will yourself to get into flow, right? Just like you can't will yourself to um to work out every single day for the next year, right? Because eventually your willpower kind of dies out. That's the idea with grocery shopping, right? How they say you win when you when you shop, right? If you were to bring a chocolate bar and just leave it on the front table, right? Leave it on your kitchen table. You could willpower it for maybe like a, a week for two weeks, you know, you could you could leave that chocolate sitting out and for about one to two weeks, you could just kind of like push away the temptation and not really have to deal with it. But if you leave it there for two, for a month and it's just sort of sitting on that kitchen table, at one point your willpower is going to break and you're just going to, you know, you're going to you're going to eat the chocolate, you're going to relapse, right? And um and that's the idea. You take this little ego, which is Maui, right? And then you take this giant unconscious here, this giant um we'll say controlling mechanism, right? The thing that actually controls your behaviors and your decisions, 
you put them against each other, and maybe maybe Maui's gonna hold up a little bit, but it's 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 no match. It's no match for what um, Jung would call the super supraordinate personality, which is literally the thing that encapsulates you. So imagine, you know, we like to think that we're above our our unconscious, but really we're sort of within the middle of it, you know, because you look at something like your unconscious and you say your unconscious includes something like this animalistic temptation, like a teka, right? But it also includes something a little bit above you, right? It includes spirituality. It includes um, meaning, right? Those things and love, right? Those three things, spirituality, meaning, and love. You ask the question, can you will yourself to love somebody? That's impossible, right? We know that. Can you will yourself to have meaning? Can you say, you know, I really want to be a, I really want to be an artist, but I'm just going to choose to be a doctor and I'm just going to will myself to do it. I'm just going to tell myself that I'm going to like it. You know, obviously that never works. Doctors actually have one of the highest rates of suicide in professions, which is actually very, very scary. And then the same thing happens with with religion. You know, I spent a lot of time my freshman year of college trying to will myself to be a Christian. Be like, okay, I don't really believe in God that much. I don't really like this this Christian idea of God. And there are so many moral problems I have with it and it just doesn't sit right with me. But I'm just going to will myself to do it. And, you know, it worked for about a month. And then... um. And then slowly it started to fade away. And that's that's sort of how it is. Because we have this little ego figure, right? This little consciousness figure. But we just can't control anything that exists, you know, beyond our... In, in the emotional or spiritual realm. We just can't do it. But we but that's the original sin of, of humans. And I think that's the original sin of our society. We believe that we can. We believe that we just, you know, just will yourself to do it. And you could do it. It's like, No. No, the answer actually lies within here, right? We're, we're going to find how we solve this original sin. So anyways, Moana takes a, makes a stupid decision, right? And, um, and she messes up Maui's hook, right? And well, the problem with Maui's hook is, you know, he puts all of his, he puts all of his ego in that hook and you can tell that he's still self-interested because he still wants to, um, he still wants to keep his hook, right? And, well, that's one of the things that he has to get over. So they get into this argument, right? Without my hook, I'm nothing, you know? And, and she, she still, well, this is, this is one of Moana's fundamental problems. And this is the problem that you're going to experience when you go through life is you, you keep acting and doing things that you don't really know why you're doing them. Right. So the thing with Moana, she says, the ocean shows me. And that's why I'm on this. That's why I spent this entire um, my entire life going on this mission. But the thing is, she has no idea why exactly she went on this mission. She just kind of went right. She just kind of did it. She received all these little cues and said, OK, I'm just going to do it. A good example of this is um, is well in real life. In real life, there was a um, there was a study. What they did was they gave uh, they gave subjects. Right. They gave them money. $5, was it 10 or 20? I think it was 20. No, it was 10. So $5, $10, and then they gave the other group $5, $10. In one of the groups, uh, they said, spend this money by the end of today on yourself. So spend either the $5 or the $10, spend it on yourself and get whatever you want and then come back. The other group, they said, 
spend it on someone else. You have to give this money to someone else. Either buy them some Starbucks coffee, buy them a meal, whatever. But you have to give um, this, you have to buy something and give it to someone else. So then they asked them the question. They said, okay, before you go out and do this, which one do you think is going to make you the happiest, right? So, well, they asked the group, they said, how happy do you think you're going to be after spending 10 on 10 yourself, five on yourself, five on someone else, 10 on someone else? And the unequivocal answer, right, was, I think I'm going to be happiest when I give $10 for myself. Makes sense, right? I get the best things. I get the best whatever. And you make the prediction, right? We have this, this internal mechanism saying, this is what's going to make me happy. $10 of spending it on myself. So you go through the experiment, people do it right, and then you come back and, um, and then they, they ask you, okay, what'd you spend it on? And how happy did that make you? And funny enough, which one do you think was the happiest? 10 to someone else, five to someone else, five to, for them or 10 for them. The happiest group was the person who spent $5 on someone else. And you ask, how does that make sense? And the reason why is because, well, first of all, we feel good giving to others. We just don't do it often. And, um, and the problem with giving money to yourself, right, is that it's very fleeting, right? So for example, you buy Starbucks coffee, you feel good for about 20 minutes, but when you come back to the lab, that didn't offer you, it offered you momentary happiness, but this is not the happiness that we're really looking for, you know? And then you look for the um, the ten dollar the person who spent ten dollars on someone else they felt a little inferior because they were thinking wait a second I gave ten dollars I could have given them twenty I could have given them thirty why ten ten such an arbitrary number and it actually made it actually bothered them because money was so much of a factor right it was it wasn't like I did a good thing and that's it right? Like I bought someone a coffee or something like I opened a door for them. It's something simple that you could do to, to make someone feel good. What they were thinking was I did something good for someone and money was a factor. So the reason why the five group was the happiest was because they did something good for someone else and it was completely in the, we'll say, emotional realm, right? It didn't have to do with how much money you're giving them. It was just a good deed, a good favor for someone else. And it actually made them feel really good. And <laughs> well, you ask the question. This is this is the fundamental question. Why is it that we were wrong? Why, when we predicted our happiness, why were we wrong? And that's the unfortunate reality. Whenever we try to predict our happiness, sometimes we don't even know what's going to make us happy, right? And that's that's the traditional thing of like you know. Uh, somebody going to finance accounting lawyer doctor saying this is what's going to make me happy this is what's going to bring me success but the truth is you really have no idea what is going to make you happy we predict wrong we believe that we know ourselves but in reality we don't and that's one of the fundamental flaws in humans and um well that's that's the problem with moana here so moana says, I went on this, this, um, this journey because the ocean chose me. It's like, what does that mean? Right? She's like, I just felt a bunch of cues, a bunch of things happened to me. And I just sort of went along with it. I wasn't, I wasn't in touch with myself. And well, she's a little bit ignorant here. Right. And that's, that's really true because whenever you, well, whenever she says I'm going on a, a mission, you better hope that it's going to make you happy. Right. And that's, that's sort of the naivety that goes along with going on a hero's journey. And, um, and, Maui comes back and says it shows wrong. 
right? So the thing is, maybe Maui's right, right? Maybe Maui's right to some degree. You know, Moana said, I am going to do something and this is going to make me happy. But then Maui says, you have no idea who you are and you have no idea what you want. So how do you know what the hell is going to make you happy? Right? That's such an unfortunate reality for humans because we're such big planners, right? We're such planners. We say, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do for the next five years? What am I going to do for my career? Right? Like that's the fundamental question that you have as a, as an adolescent going into the world. And well, the fundamental assumption is this is going to make me the maybe happiest is the wrong word, but most fulfilled, you know, most satisfied, whatever. And we are so, well, first of all, we're so flawed, right? We're so naive. We're only 17, 18 years old. We don't know ourselves well enough. And therefore we don't know what's going to make us happy. So we go throughout our entire lives and we realize, okay, I thought this was going to make me happy, but I was wrong. And that's something that they pursue in soul a lot, you know, in, in the movie soul, they really say, you know, the guy spent his entire time, he just wanted to perform jazz. That was all it was. And he wanted to become big and all that stuff. But then once he actually reached the top, once he actually did it, he looks at the woman and says, you know, he looks at the the um, the woman in the club, you know, the one who he played jazz with and said, why is this not as good as I thought it would be? And the answer is, you didn't know who you are. So Moana... Um, has this realization, right? Like maybe maybe I don't, and maybe I'm, I'm a little confused. And this is the point where the grandma comes, right? This is the point where the mentor or the self comes. The, the adventurous side of herself comes in and um, she, she's almost like a God figure, kind of, but it, it there's a lot. There's a lot of ways that you could look at it, but it's a really common archetype. Like when I when I watched this movie, I was actually a little disappointed because you see this archetype so often. But that's what makes it an archetype. It's good, you know. You see this in Lion King, right? In Lion King, you have Simba's father comes back. It's almost the exact same thing. In Star Wars, you have the um, you have the like the dead Jedi's, right? You have Obi Wan Kenobi he gets killed, and then he comes back. He says even more powerful than um even more powerful than you could have ever imagined, right? And then also the same thing happens in Harry Potter or Dumbledore and all the all the Hogwarts head, headmasters, they show up in those paintings, right? Even after they die. So it shows that, well, this is, this is the thing that we learned in the beginning, right? So we said when the grandma died, right? Oh, come on, I gotta find it right there. She says, there's nowhere you could go that I won't be with you. And that is the meaning behind them dying, right? The meaning behind the grandma dying is that Moana integrates the grandma into her personality and therefore she is the grandma, right? And that's exactly what this means. This is the manifestation of that. When the grandma shows up, this is saying she's not getting in touch with some spiritual grandma. She's getting in touch with the part of herself that she integrated. And well, you do this all the time, you know, like we... This can be something that's so abstract, but you do this all the time. You know, I ask the question all the time. I'm sitting there and let's say I'm in a social situation and I'm a little bit awkward. So I pick, uh, usually I go with Tony Robbins, right? Tony Robbins. I say, what would Tony Robbins do in this situation? Right? Just asking that simple question. What would Tony Robbins do in this situation? Then I essentially say, okay, I'm going to start acting like Tony Robbins. And therefore I am going to 
unleash the Tony Robbins part of myself and integrate that into my personality for the moment. That's exactly what, what Moana is doing here. She says, okay, what would grandma do in this situation? One of the things that Christians do very well, and this is something that they really influence is they, uh, that really influences their thinking is they ask the question, what would Jesus do, right? What would Jesus do in this situation? And if Jesus wouldn't do that, then don't do it, right? And that's essentially getting in touch with your conscience. Um, another one was Teddy Roosevelt. He had, he had on his wall, he would sit down something like this and he'd look up at the ceiling and there would be a picture of Abraham Lincoln. And whenever he was having a tough decision, he'd look up and he'd say, what would Lincoln do? Right? What would Abraham Lincoln do? And that's a great question, right? Because he's essentially putting himself in the shoes of someone else. He's integrating the, we'll say, wise part of him into his decision making. And that's exactly what Moana is doing here. She's saying, okay, what would an adventurous person do? And what would my grandma do? It's the same idea because the grandma is the figure, the representation for the um, for the grandma, right? So then what happens? What happens next? This is, well, what you must do is a, is a good way of, it's a good way of putting it. She realizes, she looks at um, essentially her past again, right? She goes back into her past and she says, you know, right there, I, I made the picture nice and big here, right? So this is the um, this is the tribal ancestors or we'll say the adventurous ancestors. And, um, and in Moana's struggle to find out who she is, right? Because she clearly has no idea who she is. She looks to her past. She looks to her potential, her genetic potential. And that's exactly what she did back when she went into the cave, right? She said, right here, right, where she goes into the cave and she sees, okay, we were voyagers, all that stuff. And she says, okay, this was our past. Well, that's exactly what she's doing. She's going back here and she's saying, who am I? I am the person that has the potential to be an adventurer. And I'm going to get in touch with the adventurous side of myself, which is the representation of the grandma. And then also, I'm going to see how far my genetic potential can take me because People have done this before, right? Like I am not the first person to do this. Maybe I'm the first person to do this in this specific category, but people have been heroes before. People have succeeded in their hero's journey and people also have um, been successful. And it's almost ignorant to, to say, I'm just gonna go on it my own. I'm just gonna figure it out. Because if you, if you don't, discover the people of the past, then you're essentially going to have to reinvent the wheel. And it's just, well, it took these people years, years to come up with the answers. And I think the greatest part about it is the people who spent all this time coming up with the answers, right? So we'll say Benjamin Franklin's a good example because he wrote maybe one of the best autobiographies of all time. He put these adventurers, put it in a book, and then they give it to you. So it's like, here's the thing that took me 50 years to figure out. Here you go. It, you, could, you could figure it out in seven hours if you read this book. That's a powerful, powerful lesson. That's what movies are. That's what stories are, right? Stories are, here are the lessons that I learned. Here's the um, journey that I went on. And here's how successful it was. Good luck. You don't have to, you don't have to struggle in the way that I struggled. And... Um, well, that's why I believe it's ignorant that people don't read books because it's like 
you have no idea. You have no idea how much you are ignorant about the best way of doing things. You could... Somebody has been in your exact problem before. Somebody has struggled in the exact way that you have before. And they've succeeded. And they, they have lessons to carry on. And if you decide not to, you know, research, and by research, I mean reading a book is the best way of doing it, but there's also, you know, just researching. If you don't do that, then you are literally going to go through the same timeful painstaking process of well something that's completely unnecessary completely unnecessary humans have been around for 200,000 years you know and we've been writing for 10,000 something like that so why why in our ignorance do we say i could figure it out instead of just saying maybe someone has already figured it out and i don't have to go through this problem and that is the idea in well, you see this in Moana, but it's that's the strongest idea in Lion King, right? The Lion King is the idea of the circle of life. The circle of life says that each generation must progress on top of each other. I think it was a line in Dead Poet Society. It was it was a great great line where they say um Robin Robin Williams character. He says um humanity itself is just a poem and all I must do is add another line. And I like that because exactly what it says is each, each generation just must take the lessons from the previous generation, the good things that they had, and build upon it, and then all the bad things take off of it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel when you do everything. You know, it's like whenever you say you're going to go on a this – is, this is the biggest problem I see with people who, um, who want to, we'll say, quit whatever, right? Um, quitting smoking is the best example. So when people try to quit smoking, it's a sad, sad thing. They say, okay, I'm just going to take my, my, um, my jewel, right? Usually jewel, but we'll say cigarettes also. I'm just going to take it, throw it down in the toilet and flush. And it's the beginning of my new life. How wonderful, right? Unfortunately, that strategy has a 95% failure rate, 95%. Simple. And for the people who try that strategy, on average, it takes them nine times to quit. And that doesn't include the amount of people that quit before they hit the ninth time, right? Nine attempts. How insane is that? But then if you were to, we'll say, read um, a book on it, right? Which which is exactly why I wrote this book, right? But, you know, quick plug. But, you know, or like I read Alan Carr's um what was it? Alan Carr's easy way to stop smoking. That that method has like. Well, he claim he claims that it's a lot better than what the scientific studies have shown. So uh, you don't really know, but you know, Alan Carr has a method that he's literally he worked with smokers and had a had a great method that um that worked in his clinical practice and he was making money off this. It's like, why not just read his 100-page book? Or, you know, in my case, I made a 150-page book just to attain a simple amount of wisdom that will increase your likelihood of success and make sure that you don't have to do this rigorous testing. Why not just, well, learn from the people of the past? That's one of the things that baffles my mind. We don't have this this instinct doesn't lie within us. We, we never developed this instinct to learn from people of the past. And um, 
Well, the only the only way that I really see people trying to learn from that is through stories. And stories, well, the problem with stories is they're incredibly abstract. You know, if you look at something like a story, it's like it's not obvious that this is the meaning behind it, right? It's like you you have to spend a lot of time thinking about it, and that's why I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. But it's not the amount of lessons that you actually get from it are very, very slim. And, it, and it's it's hard to take the lessons that you apply from a story and apply it to your real life. That's the exact reason why I created the series. And that's the exact reason why I wrote my book. Because I said, you know, my whole purpose, my whole purpose of all this is to really bridge the gap between stories and factual information. Or we'll say helpful information, right? Because if you, if you could take something, a story like Moana and... Um, and make it factual and make it interesting, then you have something something that people will watch and then you also have something that people will learn from. The problem with stories is that people don't learn from it as much. It's a little too, we'll say, encoded. And, um, well, that's why you should, we'll say, encounter the genetic potential of the past. You know, that's why you should encounter, in Moana's case, the grandpa, right? Or we'll say the ancestors. Or by ancestors, you could, yeah, you could abstract and say someone like Benjamin Franklin. He's just another human who has gone through the struggles before and knows what to do. And, um, and that's what Moana does. So, so this is what happens when you, when you engage in a good story, you engage in a book. You don't take the lessons and like something like Benjamin Franklin, right? If you, if you read his autobiography, it's not like you just take the lessons and take them at face value and you're like, okay, maybe I should do this, 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 and this. You take it and you apply it to your life, right? So you say, okay, I agree with that rule. I disagree with that rule. And maybe I could take, we'll say, you know, well, he had one rule about uh, alcohol, right? About temperance. So let's say one of his rules was drink only to... Uh, Drink only to elevation, not to dullness, something like that. And um, that's a good rule. So maybe you take that and you say, all right, maybe I've been drinking a little too much and maybe I should apply that to my life. But if, if you don't drink, then you don't really care. Then it doesn't really matter. So the whole purpose is you take the, the lessons from the past. You take the genetic potential, if you want to look at it that way, from the past and you apply it to you. And therefore, you could take that understanding and then help it understand or help that derive who you are, right? Through an introspective process, you could say, wait a second, this really stuck out to me, therefore I'm gonna apply it to my life and therefore I'm, I understand myself a little bit better. And that's exactly what it means when she comes to this big conclusion at the end, which is really cliche in my opinion, where she goes, I am Moana, right? Where she says, I am Moana, I know who I am and I know, well, the, the more important thing is I know why I'm doing this. Right? I know why I am going on my goals in the first place. This is not something where I'm just going to um where I'm just stumbling along like a child. You know, this is a maturity process. This is a mature moment, right? And you see this in the Matrix, right? The, the, it's the same thing, right? Where, you know, in the Matrix, they say, like, who are you? You know, and he says, I am Neo. You know, it's his name, and he just, you know goes into god mode essentially and just like wins you know just super simple you know i don't know i think it's cliche but it, but it's it's a little bit too direct 
but it works for me. It works for me. So you have, she says, I am Moana. She finds out who she is. And not only that, but she finds out what her individual um, goal is in relation to, um, her goal is in relation to, you know, progress, you could say, right? Whatever her goal is, she says, this is, oh yes, in relation to her, right? She goes into saying, okay, I know exactly what is going to work for me. And that's a good way of putting it because, you know, you think there are these, especially for like, that was exactly what I was saying with Benjamin Franklin, you know, he has this idea, right? And these were the 13 ideas. He had 13 rules, you know, his 13 rules were things that worked for him, right? But maybe only seven of those work for you, but that's okay, right? That's the purpose. You need to determine how everything could help you understand yourself. And then you say, okay, if I apply these seven rules, if I apply the life lessons that I could take from, we'll say this lecture series, then this is going to help me. And that's all that really matters, right? This is going to help me on my individual mission. And well, that's the thing. Who cares about the other six six lessons. They're not going to help you. So that's what you do, right? That's what you do. You take everything to see how it helps you. So then, um, oh, I forgot to say this. She, before, before she met the grandma, she threw the, the, um, the heart of Tefiti away. So she gets the heart of Tefiti. Grandma's gone. She realizes, okay, I had this amazing experience and now, now, now I'm on my own. Now I got to do it. So she has this, you know, motivation where she's actually, you know, aligned like her values and and her um understanding of herself and her goal structure are completely aligned and um and then you could say that she's ready right you say that she's ready to face teka so she goes and she faces teka and um Well, she looks so <laughs> it's funny right so she looks like she's about screwed and um and then obviously Maui comes back and and um well, <laughs> he, he Maui clearly still hasn't learned, which which is quite the problem, right? Because we we came to the conclusion in the beginning that original sin is is this, right? Where Maui takes the hook, tries to hit um, Teka, and he fails, right? So what does Maui do again? He does essentially the same exact thing, which. Well, hopefully he learns by the end. There's really no clear indication that Maui learns, but we learn because Moana learns. So Maui tries to fight Teka, and once again, we realize that that is not going to work, right? You see, he um, he lost his hook, right? But that, but that's that's the whole purpose. The whole purpose of Maui's character is he's going to... He's an egotistical guy who left and... Um, and is only focused on himself. But finally, he does an act that is out of his out out of the area of his self-interest, right? So he's not self-interested. He's doing this by sacrificing himself. You see that same idea in Han Solo, like the Han Solo character where um you know, super super egotistical, super self-interested, right? But then in episode 4, he comes back and he saves Luke and they blow up the Death Star, right? Same thing with Loki in Thor, right? Same idea. Super egotistical, really self-interested. Um always deceives his brother Thor, but then he um but then he does the good thing. And then you also have what was the other one? Professor Snape in um in Harry Potter. It's the same thing, you know, really teetering the edge between good and evil because that's what the ego is, you know. It's like there 
if you're possessed by your ego, you can either have the good part of it or the bad part of it. And well, it's a matter of which one you get to choose. And, and obviously in all these hero stories, you have the egotistical character who finally says, maybe I'm going to pursue um, something that goes beyond self-interest. I'm going to pursue life. And that is the end of the heroine's journey, right? That is, that is how Maui goes from a self-interested character, which if we're going to go in, into the sexual metaphor, because that's exactly what it is. You know, we th this movie takes sex completely out of the picture, but like a heroine's journey is all about sex. Like that is that is exactly what it is. You take a male um character, right? You take a guy, right? And um and you who's aggressive, egotistical, and then you tame him, right? And then then you have kids with him because he's going to be a good father and he's going to be protective, right? That's that's the evolutionary hero's journey. And if you want to learn more about that, that's that's what the entire lecture 5 was about. So um so well, if you look at that from a um, from a from a sexual perspective, you could say, okay, maybe the male is self interested. Self interest could represent the fact that he only wants to have sex, and that's essentially what males are. You know, what males are very good at separating sex and emotion. Women, or at least in our society, women not as much. So, um, so that's that's the representation of the the egotistical hero. And I'm watching. Um, I'm reading this book. It's called A Billion Wicked Thoughts, and they they, it's it's a really good book. Like what they take is the female um, literature that they read, like the romantic and erotical erotic literature, and they say what are the guys like, what are the girls like, and you know what what is this archetype that really exists? And the uh, well, one of the archetypes is the womanizer, right? Um, who has sex with all the women, right? Who is incredibly self interested. You know that's Beauty and the Beast. That's, um, there was one other one. Man, oh, Cinderella. Cinderella, it's the same thing, where the, um, where the prince, you know, essentially gets to choose whichever girl he wants. And, um, and obviously, then what happens is he chooses Cinderella, and, and then the woman gets to tame him. The woman gets to say, okay, there are a billion women that you could choose, but you're gonna choose me, and you're gonna put away your self-interest, which is sex in that case for something that's a little bit out of your self-interest which is love right which is which requires sacrifice and um and meaning and and life itself you know you could say love is a representation of life itself so um well that's that's the heroine's journey like through and through if you um if you want to go with that and watch watch beauty and the beast i'm actually making a beauty and the beast lecture right now and um and that's that's like the we'll say archetypal meaning so um so maui lets her pass and we'll say maybe that's the end of the heroine's journey and now you have um moana gets to go on her hero's journey and she finds okay i have to restore the heart to tefiti and she finds that tefiti is gone and here's something that you could see you know this is it's subtle, but I actually, I, I caught this. I was happy about this. It, you see, there's the figure of the woman here. All right, like here's her hair, here's her face, here's her feet, right? And you have this figure of the woman here. And you could say that literally life itself was removed, right? And um, was removed from the land. I like that. So, and then where does life exist? Life exists in Teka. So here's, here's the final lesson that we're going to learn from this. 
And this was the thing that I've been building up for this whole time. And this is why I wanted to do Moana. So I'm going to be very excited about this. This is the right way of doing a movie. This is the right way. This is the way that I wanted. I want every single movie to be made. I think this is so, so good. The way that they end this movie. Because when you look at... Okay, okay, so we'll back this up. We'll back this up. So when you look at the fundamental flaw is we believe that we could fight our nature. We believe that we could fight our impulse. And if you look at almost every single hero's story, right, where the hero fights the dragon or the hero, um, you know, slays just the bad guy, right? Harry kills, Harry Potter kills Voldemort, you know? How the Avengers kill Thanos, you know? You could say that that is the wrong way of looking at it there's there's another interpretation that that i think works you know and that's the interpretation of um you're fighting off a potential part of you right a potential manifestation of you so like for example you have person a and person a could go on path one or path two and you could say harry potter could have been harry potter but he also has the potential to be voldemort because voldemort is well they're they're essentially equal right that's that's one of the biggest parts you know uh, Harry has a part of Voldemort, which is his scar, as a kid, right? And they're tagged as equals. They're essentially equal in power, equal in scope as they go along. And, um, and well, so when Harry decides to fight Voldemort, right, he's essentially saying, I'm gonna, f I'm gonna choose path A, right, which is the Harry Potter path, and I'm gonna defeat the potential avatar that I could be, the potential person B that I could be. And, um, and if I beat off that person, that pers that manifestation of my potential self, then I become person A. That's that's the conf confrontation um, understanding, and that's really that's really really well done in in the Lion King, where you have you know Simba and Scar, and in in an alternate world, which is exactly what this sort of um, potential future scenario looks like, Simba could easily be Scar. He could easily be the resentful dictator who um, who mischaracterizes and not mischaracterizes mistreats all of his people right but when when um when simba decides to defeat scar he's saying i'm defeating that potential person of myself that that manifestation of my personality that manifestation of my ego is um is not it's gone it's gone and i'm gonna choose to be simba that's the confrontation um you know we'll say symbolism, but it, it's a little encoded because then it, it could also be a, a, a representation of repression, right? Where you're saying, okay, you know, I have, for example, let me see if I could find a good example. Well, someone like the Avengers and Thanos, you know, when you look at, when you look, look at the Avengers movies, it's like Thanos, it's not very clear that Thanos is a villain, you know, like the, the, the makers of the Avengers movies, the, um, the Russo brothers, they wanted to name Avengers Infinity War, the third Avengers movie, they wanted to name it Thanos instead of Avengers Infinity War because it, it was essentially the hero's journey of Thanos if you really watch it. And um, and they couldn't because they were, you know, you were essentially heroizing, heroizing? We'll do it. We were heroizing a villain, right? But it's not clear that he's a villain because he's very rational. He's very well put together. And, um, and to say that you're going to defeat him, to say that you're going to fight him is... 
Well, that's the problem that a lot of a lot of people have with Muslims, right? Muslims, they have this idea of the holy war, right? The holy war and fighting and, and violence and all these things. And well, it's not wrong, right? It's not wrong if you say maybe you're fighting off this wrong manifestation of yourself, but at the same time, it's you have to look deeper behind the symbolism. In Moana, however, it shows the correct path in in Jung's interpretation as well as as well as the well it's just a well as well as the psychological interpretation. So I could I could go through it. So you have um clearly now now it becomes obvious to Moana that Tefiti and Teka are the same person, right? So um so Moana realizes, okay, everybody in the past says that maybe we should fight off the innate parts of ourselves, right? We should fight off life, right? And that is the original sin. That is Maui's sin where he says, maybe we should fight off the animal side of myself, you know, and that's the representation of fighting off um, sexual impulses, aggression, right? And, um, and homo, uh, bisexuality, as well as, you know, fighting sleep. We, we went through all this. By repressing, um, by repressing ourselves, which is the, well, which is the creator of Teka, which is the part that creates the, the negative manifestation of, well, whatever, right? Like we'll say if you're low on sleep and sleep is a representation